T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This hour is brought to you by BetMGM. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Station. The snap goes to Hurts. He fakes the hand up, has time, winds up, long pass, far side, caught over the shoulder, touchdown Brown, far side, touchdown. As a dynamic dual threat QB, how much appreciation do you have respect for Jalen Hurts in his game? I mean, he's awesome. And I think one thing that I see from him is his leadership you know how he leads that team how he carries himself it's awesome to see and just the amount of people that doubted him you know after his second year first second year it's just he didn't worry about any of that outside noise he just you know kept his head down and work and you know I've been training with him for what, a couple of years now so you know I've seen you know the type of person he is the type of work he put it in Justin Fields talking with Jim Rome about Jalen Hurts. Romy! Justin Fields making the rounds nationally after the season ended. Maybe the Bears told him, hey, go go do a bunch of interviews. Put yourself out there so the talking heads can say a bunch of dumb stuff about you. Well, they succeeded. Yeah, they did. That's what they wanted to have happen. Uh-huh. There's a ton of dumb stuff being said about Justin Fields. Not by our next guest, though. No, Nate Tice is on Twitter at Nate underscore Tice. Staff writer at The Athletic, co-host of The Athletic Football Show. Joins us on the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook. Nate, what's up? How are you guys doing? Nate, we're doing really well. Now, look, man, I understand that when you're talking about developmental arcs, like what's around you matters quite a bit. But I I kept wondering at the beginning of the season, and I, I feel even more emboldened in my opinion about it, is it possible that the Bears can look at what Jalen Hurts did and his improvement from year two to year three, as you pointed out in your piece, and and say that's a possible arc for Justin Fields to take if we do the right stuff in development? Oh, absolutely. And uh, another guy to even look at, too. And that, at first I thought I was coming on, you guys are going, why hasn't Justin Fields' name most improved? And you said it has to be a year. My, my caveat, my piece was year three uh, beyond for the players, uh, even though some of my readers didn't seem to understand that part. Um, I Another player that looked for improvement, I think his play style is similar to Justin's, is Daniel Jones from the Giants. Um, they have similar uh, longer throwing styles. They like to push the ball, but they're also super athletic and can run the ball. And even if you look at what – uh, Daniel Jones went from, oh, yeah, we're not picking up his fifth-year option to getting rumored for $40 million contracts. And then people are also saying, in the same breath, going, well, 
Justin Fields is never going to make it. Hey, you guys are also talking about paying Daniel Jones $40 million. But if you look at what happened with Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, even Trevor Lawrence in Justin Fields' class, situation matters so much. And, and having an offensive line, having players that can catch balls outside of their body frame or run the right route. Uh, and also on top of it, it, it's, Fields has already shown improvement, and he doesn't have a lot of that help. And that's where it's exciting what could happen when he does, when uh, the floor beneath him is lifted a little bit. But I think of a lot of players in the league uh, with the gifts that Justin Fields has, that is like a, uh, an easier bet to make. Is if his situation improves, he's going to skyrocket. How did you base, in for this, this big story that you did that we've been looking at about the most improved players, how did you set the level at which a player already had to be? Because I'm always wary of rating improvement. Because you could have a guy who goes from bad to decent, or a guy who goes from decent to good, or good to great. Was all of that on the table, or is this a particular a particular movement of improvement? You you nailed it. Uh, so it was a different tiers that these guys reached. I think the perfect example of that is Caleb McGarry uh, uh, for Atlanta Falcons uh, right tackle. Um, he improved from this guy shouldn't be on the field to slightly above average. <laughs> and that was a, uh, to me, a two or even three tier improvement for him this season. He did not go to good. And I should, this guy should be making the pro bowl, but to like, this guy is a, a viable starter in the NFL, you know, as opposed as opposed to this guy should not be seeing one more snap and looking like he plays on the 2010 Bears, you know, <laughs> where uh, we're that type of line. Ouch. Um, but <laughs> hey, I was part of that too. I was gonna say, <laughs> don't hurt him, Nate. Jeez, <laughs> I was a part of those lines too, in a weird way. Um, yeah, I know. So, but then, but but then a guy like Jalen Hurts. Um, or even like Miles Sanders might be a good one, uh, where that guy was, I would say, maybe average, maybe slightly above average to, to, to having a good season. Um, same with Hurts. Uh, those types of guys where, you know, they were they were okay. Uh, Zach Allen was another one I named, defensive lineman. I think he went from like, okay, decent starter to like a good, even borderline Pro Bowl starter. Uh, like that was a, everybody was, I was looking for guys that in my mind went maybe made two tiers or more. Even, uh, doesn't matter where the tier they started at, though. Nay, we've been having a big conversation on our show uh, where we've, whenever we've had national football guests on, we've talked about how it seems to be an evolution in quarterbacking. And, and I, I'd just love to know from your perspective, why, how do you think we got to the place where instead of looking at guys who have mobility and saying, well, they can't do blank, that we're now seeing coaches and front offices almost demanding that the position be manned by a quarterback that's got some some vertical and horizontal mobility? No, that's a great question. To me, it's one is every sport has gotten more athletic. Uh, you look across the landscape, look at basketball, hockey, every sport, baseball. Every sport's gotten more athletic. And two, my theory is that defenses have just gotten really, really good. And quarter, it's a necessity that quarterbacks now have to create. Uh, but I also think the misconception is people just think it's just the creation that quarterbacks have to do. They, they, ju they just have to be runners. But no, what makes the great ones right now, the truly elite ones right now, the, the Mahomes, of course, who's in his own category, in my opinion, and then also the Josh Allens, the Justin Herberts, the Joe Burrows, is you have to win from the pocket as well. 
is that you have to do both. And that's what's different. That's the difference is these guys are amazing from the pocket, like the quarterbacks that we all grew up with, I'm assuming. Uh, and also that they can create a little bit. There is a lot more Dante Culpeppers than, um, you know, or than a Rodney P. <laughs> There's a lot more of those types in the, in the league. And I, I think those are the, my two theories of it is just sports are more athletic and these players are more athletic in, in general. And then the other thing is that that is that defenses have made it so they're so much faster on defense and smarter on defenses that you can't just sit in the pocket and go one to two to three. It's really one to two to run or one to run or just, hey, go create. The number one read wasn't open. And I think it's just a prerequisite now. Uh, you've got to look at that and you got to look at size as well. It, it can't just be a little 5'10", 190-pound guy, which is what one of these guys in the draft class is. I understand that, but he might be an exception. So, so how do you go about coaching this? And, and what type of infrastructure do you think – that players like Justin Fields needs on the offensive side to make sure that he's maximized? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think, uh, well, one first is having a decent offensive line helps um, because then they Jalen Hurts, if you want to look at where his improvement came from, he gets to sit in some pretty clean pockets. And that will build, that'll build your confidence a little bit when you can just sit back there and stay clean and take your time and you, you know you're getting three seconds to make your read. Um, with a lot of it is getting guys to trust that what their number one is and find their number one. Uh, and when I say their number one, I just mean the read and the progression. And the thing is, you could call the same play three or four times in a row. That number one might change based on the coverage. So that is all like tied in together. It's finding the right number one. And then from there, it's based on the player. Like a guy like Justin Fields, especially where he's at now with where his offensive line is. And I actually think, Luke Getze did a, did a decent job of this. I'm actually pretty optimistic about Luke Getze and what he does, offense coordinator for the Bears, is there's one. Uh, you're cover two here. Okay, now I'm going to throw the dig. One's not open. Okay, go run and create. And sometimes it's just if you make a mistake, make a mistake fast. It's mm. taking, out some, taking out some of the fat that can happen where you're trying to be too perfect. So I think getting when you always get to the right number one, that can get you to the right number two. Sometimes that's the check down. Sometimes you have to move your eyes across the field. But knowing what quarterbacks can and can't handle really helps with that. I think Justin sometimes tries to be too perfect, and he's getting a little better at kind of trimming the fat. But for him, it's more like, hey, here's one. If one's not open, go, baby. <laughs> go, go make a play. But if I'm teaching Justin Herbert, who reads the game differently at Justin Fields, he, he likes to check the ball down rather than scramble. I would make sure the plays are more conducive to that and say one to two. Okay. Those aren't open. Now you can scramble, but it's just a comfort level with the plays being called. We know that fields need targets and the bears are, are fully aware of that. And I was interested to see that your most improved wide receiver happens to be a pending free agent in Jacoby Myers. And it leads me to think about not just how you identify the improvement, but as uh, I hate to say, finding the why, but the reason for the improvement. Why is somebody getting better? And that, that I want to apply this to Chase Claypool. And yes. if, if these guys are getting better, because he'd be a perfect candidate based on your criteria for this list next year. Or maybe it should have been this year, but you, you know, it, it, he got traded. Maybe you give him a year because it took him a while to learn whatever three plays they gave him. But if Chase Claypool is going to be on this list, and if you do you think he can... And what would he have to do to make these kinds of improvements? 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jacoby Myers, so I'm glad you gave him a little shout out there. Yeah, uh, he's he, he's going to be a rich man. He is. I, he timed up his free agency perfect. <laughs> he's uh, he's a he's a good he's a. I think he's going to be a good number two for uh, for somebody. But like, but when you're the prettiest girl at the dance, it kind of helps a little bit um, with the free agency market. I think with Claypool, there's a misconception of what type of player he is. You look at him, he's six four, two hundred thirty pounds. You're like, oh, launch it deep. Like, let him go up and get it. He is more of a finesse receiver, and I mean this as a compliment. He's such a good athlete that he is more of a – you have to run the right stuff for him. It's not what you – it's kind of a can't or won't situation. Is it because the coaches aren't calling that and they just don't have it in their playbook, or is it they're not calling it because they don't think you can do it? Um, I think with Claypool is he needs a lot more horizontal stuff. Um, a guy that maybe it's not the same position – but someone that gets used this way, if you look how Evan Ingram got used with the Jaguars this year, uh, and he would have been a candidate for my most improved, but my criteria is, well, he already made a Pro Bowl, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to be improved off a of Pro Bowl. Um, but Evan Ingram in the, with the Giants, he runs a four four five. He's a big athletic guy, and they kept using him on vertical stuff, goes and seams and run down the field. And then Doug Peterson said, I'm going to use you on crossing routes. I'm going to use you underneath. I'm going to use you on screens, catch the ball and run, run away from everybody, use that 4-4 speed. I think that's where Claypool, Claypool should get used. A lot more crossers, a lot more digs, a lot of stuff where he's moving and catching on the run because that's where his gifts shine the most. His, his breakout game as a rookie uh, with the Steelers was he was, catching, he was getting jet sweeps and, and running the ball for, for touchdowns when he had that three-touchdown game. That's how I think he, he should ideally be used, and that's where he – is is a plus player at when you're digging through all of this tape and trying to figure out you know what players have made significant jumps is there any connection that you can make between coaching coaching staffs or coaching trees like who are the best teachers of the game that are getting players from level b to level c or level c to level d oh yeah oh man they're no, there's Doug Peterson was, is a pretty good one because it, it's really you, knowing the personnel is where you see the right guys. Of course, Kyle Shanahan maximizes a lot what he gets, um, but he is such a unique coach and is such a unique system. You see some defensive coaches that are very good at it. I, I think a Dan Quinn um, knows a personnel very well and knows how to understand uh, uh, what he's doing, the defense coordinator for the Cowboys. Um, he understood, hey, I got this Michael Parsons guy <laughs> What's Let's, you know, let him loose. Let's, let's get him moving across the defensive line. Uh, it really is, it's, to me, it's guys knowing what guys are, knowing what personnel is, and knowing what they can and can't do is when you see um, the improvement from the players. Like, that's, again, I'll bring up Luke Getsky again. I think maybe I, I've seen some Bears frustrations with him, fans' frustrations. I've seen some positives with him. What I think what Luke Getsky was really good at this year was, hey, our offensive line can't pass protect. We got some good backs, and we got a decent uh, a quarterback that can you know move the ball a little bit, run the ball a little bit. Let's do a lot of boots. Let's do a lot of zone running that helps the offensive line. And you saw some guys kind of Khalil Herbert have a nice year before he got hurt. It's just understanding personnel. That's I know that sounds like a broad swath statement, but that's really where you see guys. Um, improve in a system because I think a lot of older coaches, especially were like, no, this is my system. You have to square peg round hole it. I think it's a lot of coaches now are doing a good job of like building the circle. So it fits their players. We've asked a lot of people about the center position 
and I've I watched it more this year than I have in the past because just my my I guess my my viewers eye got trained and I'm spoiled with the amount of time that I watched Jason Kelsey and his power his speed his discipline the being able to throw multiple blocks on the same play to help and recover to to do next level moving stuff and i'm just wondering we've we've talked to draft experts who say you can find like the second round or the the third round where you use a lot of really good center prospects that come out of there can a great center be developed and how long does it take Absolutely, they can be developed. Uh, I'll even bring up the example with uh, my dad. He, uh, Mike Tice, he brought uh, uh, Matt Burke, was a tackle, six-round tackle from Harvard or fifth-round tackle from Harvard. He developed him into a center by his second year. Um, I think center play outside of left tackle play, center is the most important position on the offensive line and sometimes the most important position. I think center has a, and I use kind of like a video game reference here, but like a boost effect on everybody around him. More quarterback, of course, has a boost effect on yeah, everybody. Yeah, force multiplier. Force multiplier, yes. Fantastic. That, that's exactly it. And because a center, especially for a guy like Justin Fields or, or younger quarterbacks, a veteran center, this is what, it's one of the best things they can have because it takes a load off protection-wise and the points, and where they're going. And when a quarterback doesn't have to worry about it, most offenses have a quarterback to either set it or they have override ability and have to fix things. Sometimes they have to be like, oh, no, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're, we're going here. And some, but then you see some communicate. Um, I think uh, Dak Prescott and Taylor, Tyler Biotish with the Cowboys is a great example. It's kind of a nice partnership. It's really cool. It's like a pitcher and a catcher kind of like, you know, going through what pitch they want to go. And I, I, I love those relationships. Those have such an effect on everybody else because it lets guys, everybody on the offensive line, go to the right spot. And if you're going to the right spot, that's half the battle. Like, it really is. A lot of these guys are good athletes. You just got to get them going into the right area. So I think center is so incredibly important for an offense to be functional. Uh, and that's where you see a lot of leaps in offenses when they get a leap in center play. But you asked about development. Yes, you, you can. But I think a lot of it's mentally uh, for centers. It's a lot on them. You have to be basically the – the second smartest guy on the whole team, you know, uh, to be to be a center outside the quarterback. And I think, yes, you can develop it, but it does take time. I think Tyler Biotis, the guy name I just brought up from the Cowboys, is a great example. He was a fourth-round pick, I believe, from Wisconsin. And first couple of years, kind of okay, like, you know, kind of replacement-level center. And this year he got voted to a Pro Bowl. And I actually thought he did play really well this year. He actually deserved it outside of just kind of getting the Dallas boost <laughs> for getting to the Pro Bowl. Uh, but no, you can definitely develop center play, but it is it does take a little bit of time because there's a lot to mentally learn the position. Again, another example, just personal experience, is John Feliciano, who's bounced around a little bit in the league. He was a left tackle at Miami, uh, grew and developed into a center. And if you watched him with the Bills and now with the Giants, when he's on the field, the offensive line looks those look good, like the, how how he did because uh, he was calming everybody down. When he was off the field, it was a mess. Even how the Bills played this year, he was gone and, and couldn't play guard and help out Mitch Morris at center. So I, I think that is it's something you develop. It's a lot more of the mental side than the physical side. Nate, thanks, man. We really appreciate you jumping on with us. This was phenomenal. We'd love to have you on again soon. Oh, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for uh, letting me get some, get some words out in the morning. <laughs> Hell yeah. Why not? Talking ball. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, guys.
That is Nate Tice of The Athletic. Really good stuff. A lot of content in there, as he, uh, he always brings you on The Athletic Football Show. You know what? I, since he's been back, like we've, I got to play. At some point, maybe we'll do it on Monday. I got to play the Olin stuff for Dan. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard it. Yeah, it's Dan. It's, oh, I'm sure. It's sexy. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, some, it's some sexy is offensive it, Is it line. as good as Thayer talking about... Yeah. Nick Bosa. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, he doesn't get like Olin wasn't really like he wasn't in mad mode. Like okay. he was in technician mode. So he him explaining how parts fit together on an offensive line, and if you are going to have a Jason Kelsey type, how you have to match that with the guards that you have on the team and what they're going to be expected to do because you're going to have your Jason Kelsey type doing sort of you know stuff where he's getting out and moving. So you better have mm-hmm. some some mammoths there to watch his back and get some of those blocks on three techniques that are trying to. You know, so it's it's love it. Yeah, it's super sexy. Like it's it's on the House of L. If you want to go listen to it, but we'll bring it on Monday. We'll do a whole segment. We'll redo it just so you can hear it. Awesome! This is great. This is it's is custom made radio. Yep. Kevin Kugler called the Northwestern Illinois game last night. It was a terrific basketball game. Even for those of us who are you know this time of year kind of trying to ramp up a little bit more of the college viewing experience ahead of the tournament. So we'll uh, find out what he thought about the game for which he had a courtside seat. He'll join us next on the score. I am going to drive Nick Bosa into the ground repeatedly. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. And the Illini close it in on the win. The give to Bowie, the three, not up. And Illinois overcomes their largest deficit of the season, down 18 at the break to get the 66-62 win, knocking off the Northwestern Wildcats. That was a hell of a basketball game. I am glad that I made time for it, that I, I turned away from a pretty good Memphis Grizzlies-Philadelphia 76ers game to, to tune in 
that one and was rewarded for it. The man who called in a Big Ten Network, Kevin Kugler, joins us now. He is on Twitter at Kevin Kugler, and he's on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Kevin, what's up? That was a great game. You're right. You were rewarded with that last night. That was a dandy, great atmosphere as it ha- as it warmed up in the second half. They kind of took the Illini fans out in the first half with the performance from Northwestern, but that was a really fun game to be at. Yes, Kevin. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. It was looking like it was going to to blowout town, and and then you know the the first few minutes of the second half, Northwestern didn't shoot well. When did you feel like the energy of the building say, "Hey, I gotta I gotta ratchet it up because now we got ourselves a game." Yeah, right under the ten minute mark, because you know until that point, every time Illinois had made a little push. Northwestern had had an answer, and including that first push to start the second half, then Northwestern had another answer, extended it out to double digits again. And then when Illinois finally got it back to single digits for the last time, the crowd started to awaken, and then you recognized, okay, this game is probably not going to just be one of those situations where we go back and forth for a while. This is going to be one that comes down to the wire, and it did. It was but it was that crowd that came alive, and, and you got to give Terrence Shannon a ton of credit for that, for the Illini, because he didn't get anything done in the first half coming back from concussion. Looked like he got his legs under him in the second half and really took that game over. Well, what I found really interesting from a tactical perspective was what Brad Underwood didn't do in the second half. Because I think I've learned that if I'm playing against Northwestern, and I have guys who are borderline pros who are who just have individual talent. I think passing less, it sounds counterintuitive and antithetical to the game, but the more stuff you run against Northwestern, the more you give them to disrupt. You if you if you're moving the ball around and they're trapping and they're deflecting, if you just have a guy who can take his guy don't let them do their stuff and let your your superior athleticism rise to the top. And that's, to me, what happened in the second half because I thought Underwood got, got, got outcoached significantly in the first half. Well, and, and one of the things that hurt him in the first half was they couldn't hit shots. So you've got guys who had some good looks from three. Matthew Meyer couldn't hit anything in the first half. But outside of Terrence Shannon, I, and I think to your point, it's, it's not necessarily letting them play hero ball, but it is letting those guys exploit their athleticism from a Terrence Shannon standpoint and also from a sincere Harris standpoint. I think when you look at what he was able to do defensively on Boo Booey, who had a remarkable first half, it's not like he had a bad second half, but sincere Harris really locked him down the last 12 minutes of the game. And without Boo Booey, nobody else was able to get anything going for Northwestern offensively. I'm sure if you talked in a candid moment to Northwestern coaches, they'd say if we'd have just had a second guy like we usually do, like a Chase Audige or somebody else who's able to add to the scoring punch, they're in better shape as they leave Champaign last night. But Sincere Harris took Boo Booey out with his athleticism and his one-on-one play, and that really changed the game in the second half. It was fascinating. You guys were talking about it on the broadcast. The, the, the Northwestern backcourt, I mean, I know they lost the game, but they've had such an incredible season can you run it back for for our audience on what you guys think of those two guys, Adige and and Boo Booey, and how they might be the best backcourt in the Big Ten? Well, yeah, it's interesting because Robbie and I were doing a game, I don't know, a week or two ago, and somebody said to us, oh, that's the, that's the best backcourt tandem 
in the Big Ten this year. And we kind of looked at each other and we said, ah, I don't know if that's the case. So we started doing what anybody who's a fan of the game does. You start going through every single roster. It's like, all right, what about this guy? What about this guy? And you go through the Big Ten and you can always, you can find great guards. You know, you can go to Maryland and find Jameer Young. You can find a great guard and say, okay, there's a great guard. But is the tandem in the backcourt as good as what you have with Boo Booey and Chase Audige combined over the course of the season? And it's not. There, there is not another tandem like that in the Big Ten Conference this year. It's one of the big reasons why Northwestern is going to go to the NCAA tournament for the, second, for the second time in school history is because they have the best backcourt tandem in the Big Ten Conference, but it doesn't ever feel like it until you go through the rest of the rosters because we watch a lot of Big Ten basketball, and both Robbie and I were like, no, that can't be the case. And then you go through each roster, and you're like, yeah, at the end of it, you've convinced yourself that it is indeed the case. That's the best backcourt duo on any team in the conference. This NCAA tournament that you mentioned could be kind of wild because I'm really not sure who's good. I keep changing my mind. I get something in my head, and then I watch them like, yeah, mm, uh, uh. Th- this could be really wacky this year. There's, there's not an elite team, in my opinion, in the, in the entirety of college basketball. There are a lot of really good teams. Kansas, a good team. Purdue, a really good team. Indiana, on certain nights, can be a really good team. Creighton, Marquette, UConn can be really good teams well, out of the Big East. But on some nights, they can look terrible as well. And I think that's what you're going to see in the NCAA tournament. It's, we always talk about tournament matchups as the big thing. Well, what's the matchup? What's the, I, I think this year, matchups and pairings are going to matter more than any other tournament we've seen in recent history. Because if you get a wrong matchup, even a really good team can look really bad. How important is a, a now seemingly healthy Terrence Shannon Jr. for Illinois if they want to make noise? Critical. Uh, look, I, this, this Illini team has been a puzzler, and I, I'm sure it has for Illini fans this year, too, because I look at their roster, and they're as talented as any team that you'll see in college basketball this year. They have a little bit of everything. They have size. They have flexibility with their post. But Terrence Shannon is the difference maker because he's the guy that everything starts with. He can distribute the ball. He can rebound the basketball. He can defend. He gets to the line better than almost anybody in the Big Ten Conference. He can score with anybody in the league. He has to be healthy and playing at his best. When he is, Illinois can beat any single team in college basketball. And, and I think it was Robbie that said it last night. I know, I know he and I have had this conversation, so I don't think I'm sharing things out of school, even if it wasn't on air. But it wouldn't surprise you to see Illinois go all the way to the Final Four, and it wouldn't surprise you to see Illinois lose in the first round. It, 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 this is one of those teams that you look at and say, man, they could do a lot or they could do absolutely nothing. But Terrence Shannon is such a key to them doing a lot. He's got to be ready to go, and I think that second half should be really encouraging. Who are the best NBA prospects you've seen this year? It's so interesting because I spent a lot of time in the Big Ten. I spent a lot of time in the Big East, and the NBA prospects are not necessarily in those leagues from the standpoint of their stars. Who are the stars in the Big Ten? Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady, two yeah. posts Man. that you don't have any idea what they're going to do at the next level. Those are your two best players night in and night out in the Big Ten Conference. You go to the Big East, Adama Sonogo at, at uh, UConn, fantastic player. Ryan Kalkbrenner, post player, defensive player, not a great shooter on the outside. It, it, it's, it's a weird year in college basketball in that two of the best leagues 
don't really have the guys that stand out and say, well, that's a surefire NBA guy. You knew Io was a surefire NBA guy last year. You knew Jaden Ivey was an NBA guy last year when you watched those guys play in the Big Ten Conference. There, there's not those guys that jump off because the best players this year in these leagues reside in the post, but they're not necessarily what the post has become in the NBA. So what about Chris Murray of Iowa? A lot of people love him. See, and I, and I, am, I am a fan, but I do worry about the consistency level of Chris Murray. I saw him Wednesday night at Wisconsin, and he got into foul trouble early, not necessarily his issue, but because he, he's not normally a foul-prone guy. But sometimes there's just not the aggressiveness that I would like to see from a really, really talented player. If he's more aggressive at times, that's when he's at his best. His shot is so pretty that if he can get that thing going, and I sometimes think he almost defers too much once in a while, I'd love to see him be a little bit more aggressive. We've seen him at home more aggressive than we have on the road. I'd like to see all of that round together. I like his, I like his game. I just want to see that elevate a little bit to get to that next level. Kevin, you, you do games with Robbie. He is the patron saint for, man, that guy is still playing there. <laughs> so so I'm wondering, of, of all the teams that you've seen this year, is there a guy where you're like, wait a minute, I, that guy was here in the Obama administration. How is he still <laughs> playing college basketball? I mean, look, this, this is there's, there's a couple of guys at Penn State that are on. Michael Head is on his sixth team in college basketball. What? And, what? Uh, you, you've got guys who are just – who have spent a lot of time on the transfer portal, making their way around. Um, I, I have I have daughters. There are players on these teams that are my daughters. One is a graduate of college. One is in, in college right now. There are several players on these teams who are in college still that are older than my oldest daughter by three or four years because they've been able to bounce around the world of college basketball. And we're going to see this in the next couple of years because everybody's still got their COVID year to play with. So right. these guys are going to bounce around. You've got your COVID year to play with. I mean, you look at Northwestern, there's a lot of guys who are listed as seniors that could be right back on that roster next year. And I'm telling you, if Boo Booey and Chase Audige are back in a Northwestern uniform next year, that's going to be the answer to your question when you ask me that next year. Who's the guy you've seen around since the Obama administration? It's going to be Boo Booey and Chase Audis. They're close right now, but those are going to be the guys that get named next year if they're back in a Northwestern uniform. And selfishly, I hope they are because it's fun to watch them play. Oh, that's so great. Does Robbie ever get bent when people talk about that? Because, I mean, look, obviously, like, he's a great player, and we're all looking for the, the Robbie Hummel statue and all that good stuff. But but does he ever get upset when people bring up that it seemed like he was at Purdue for forever? No, and and you know what he doesn't. Robbie is one of the best people I know. He's so good natured, and you know, and I'm sure he would say, "I'd love to have another year. Give me another year of eligibility." It didn't end the way I wanted it to. I'll take another. And look, the Big Ten Network. We're all about guys who had longevity in their college careers. Not only Robbie Hummel. But Jess Settles, Iowa yes. fans will know. Jess Settles played 47 years in an Iowa basketball <laughs> uniform. And this was before COVID and before the transfer portal. So if you had a really long – I don't know how Stephen Bardo has made the cut at, at, with, the, with his short relatively career at Illinois compared to those of Robbie and Jess Settles because those two guys, they, uh, they, they stretched it out, shall we say, in the college ranks. And I'm telling you, Robbie would say, I'll take another year of that and I'd love to go back one more year to Purdue and play again. Robbie, Jess, Evan Eschmeyer. Oh, there you go. Evan Eschmeyer. And the, <laughs> see, the, for me, for us, for us old heads, it was Ricky Blanton at LSU. 
And if you look at his Wikipedia page, it, it says Ricky Blanton College, LSU, 1984 to 1989. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are usually called doctors when they go that long to school. Right? <laughs> Lovely guy. And uh, was, was a, uh, Ricky was a – he liked LSU. He I did. mean, he just he, – he liked it there, so he was there for six years. Kevin, are you happy hey. with the upgrades that the Cubs have made this offseason? I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, you know, and and that's I think the best you can say as a Cub fan is that you're cautiously optimistic by things that happen. They they made some moves. I think their middle defense is going to be very good. It should be. I I'm hopeful that you know some guys will hit a little more than some guys have hit in recent years, and we'll see if we can uh, find a little offense uh, on the north side this summer. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I like what they're doing defensively. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see if that if that shapes up. Uh, to compete. I, I still think the Central is the Cardinals to lose right now. And then after that, it's, you know, it's a toss-up. It, it, I mean, not that it matters for second place unless you're competing for that second wild card, and I don't know that that's going to come out of the Central. But it's at least something for a Cub fan to say, hey, they did something. This is fun. They, that's a guy I recognize. I know his name, and they signed him to a big deal. That's exciting. Uh, so, you know, progress is being made. I think that's, I think that's, a, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I usually don't put too much weight on the start of a season or like the first 25 games, but this is one of those cases where if they get a little something going and you're heading into the deadline, this has got a potential to, you know, just just depending on on how the chips fall and they want to they want to add when it matters, there might be a little little spark possibly. Well, I mean, I would assume that after opening day, whether they win or lose, we'll all be either ready to jump off a cliff or jump right on the bandwagon all the way to another World Series. That's usually how it feels about early April. It's like, wow, my gosh, they won a game. Great. We're going all the way. Here we go. 162-0. and That's what's happening with the Cubs this year. Or they lose the first game, and we all realize that it's time to just sell everybody off on April 3rd and try to rebuild once again. Spoken like a true baseball <laughs> fan. There's no doubt about it. Kevin, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Always good to talk with you guys. Thanks for having me on. That's Kevin Kugler, Big Ten Network play-by-play announcer. Called a good one last night. We have a high noon coming up. The reviews are rolling in on Cocaine Bear. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna scrap. I'm gonna scrap my high noon story because I think we need to go dueling opinions on Cocaine Bear. I'm not. I haven't seen it. I don't have. I've, I know. I've just got but, some reviews here, but I know some of the reviews that you got, and I'm going to hit you with some knowledge from another reviewer of Cocaine Bear. Let's get it on. Let's do that next. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then, right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon. Wow, it's already high noon. The show is absolutely flying by. We started out by. Talking about the White Sox and saying nice things about the White Sox because Pedro Grafal says he's researching this idea of who to put where in the batting order. And then we replayed Ryan McGuffey saying that the White Sox are doing drills to practice playing defense. So that's all good in the world of the Sox. And we replayed a little David Ross about how he's responding to some of these stories about Wilson Contreras, what they liked, what they didn't like. Nate Tice was awesome. He wrote this really cool piece about most improved players, and we used that as an excuse to talk bears, essentially. Yeah. And then Kevin Kugler discussed last night's Northwestern and Illinois game. It's high noon. 
You came in here swashbuckling, talking about cocaine bear. I'm going to go see it this afternoon. Are you really? Literally after we're done with the show. I'm, I'm meeting Afia, and we're going to go see Cocaine Bear. Okay. Like, that that's the Friday I, afternoon plan. I admire the dedication. So so you're like, oh, you've got to see some of these reviews about Cocaine Bear. Well, let me tell you something, Dan Bernstein. <laughs> All right, you start. Go ahead. I have a review you, here you serve. from Richard Roper. My guy. I'm looking forward to him playing in our poker event. Yeah, I'll get a chance to see him, and then we'll By the way, register about- for that. I, whenever I see Richard, we just kind of look at each other, and then we start crying about the White Sox. Maybe by the time the poker event comes around, we won't be crying about the White Sox. That would be nice. He says, all right, all right. So the bear is also a drooling, roaring, rampaging, killing machine, and Elizabeth Banks' wildly entertaining and darkly hilarious B-movie blood fest which proves to be more than just fantastically ridiculous title and a viral marketing campaign. This is a genuinely well-crafted horror gem with a winning cast, some nifty twists, and a very good bear who betrays the CGI origins maybe 10% of the time, but for the most part looks like an actual cocaine-fueled black bear with lightning-quick reflexes, a big bite, and an insatiable, insatiable appetite for coke on the rocks. And in the trees and on the cliffs, his title for this column, Coke and a Smile. Oh, my God. So there, Richard Roper gave it three stars. Cocaine Bear. For writing for The Ringer, their movie reviewer, Adam Naiman, says, Cocaine Bear makes Sharknado look like Tremors. And it makes snakes on a plane look like Citizen Kane. At least Sharknado had the good grace to be made for television. <laughs> now, this is the review from the AP. This is Mark Kennedy of the AP. He gives it zero stars. Oh, wow. He says, yes, there's a giant bear. And yes, it does a ton of coke. And yes, as you probably suspected, the movie blows. We have officially sunk very low with Cocaine Bear, way past other films where the title alone describes the only thing that happens, like Snakes on a Plane, We Bought a Zoo, or Sharknado. It's a parody of a parody. Yes. The director Elizabeth Banks has turned limp and pointless. If you think it's hysterical to see a bear do a bump off a severed leg stump, by all means, the movie theater is this way. But where does it all go from here? Just match an apex predator with a Schedule 2 drug and fall deeper into a movie future with oxycodone osprey or codeine <laughs> crocodile. <laughs> the filmmakers are clearly trying their hand at satire, but ham-fistedly. Set during the Reagan-era Just Say No period, Cocaine Bear hopes to remark on the demonization of drugs but it also seems to have something to say about how humans misunderstand the balance of nature and neither work. Cocaine Bear was shot largely in rural Ireland, which the creators say closely resembles the Georgia Mountain Wilderness. Actually, that reminds us of what else bears famously do in the woods. These filmmakers left us a pile of it. A texter says Dean Richards gave it a B. Okay. Shout out to my man Dean Richards, by the way. Hey, all just because look, everybody's. I'm, 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 I, if that's your yum, 
And so you're not going to see it? No, I'm not. Come on, Dan. I, I'm not spending 15 bucks to see this. All right, if it comes out on streaming. Maybe. I mm-hmm. it, I want to see what the reaction is. All and right, maybe, I'm going to give my review I, to Cocaine Bear on Monday. This is not something I'm racing out to see. I'm a, a, no. <laughs> The trailer was great. I think the two-minute Red Band trailer, perfect. Like that should have just been the art. I, that like that that was that was kick ass. That trailer was just was was perfect, and you saw cool stuff, and you saw Ray Liotta and uh, everybody in the do. There's there's. I mean there's no that Shane is Jackson. that is kind of sad that this is Ray Liotta's. I, I mean, no matter like you That's, know, I'm I'm you know, I'm sure it'll be fine, but I just wanted the only line that I would want because O'Shea Jackson Jr. is in it. Mm-hmm. You remember in Anaconda when Ice Cube, uh, they got snakes in here this big? I, I, I would hope that, uh, that there would be some, if he has a line like that. All right. Then that would be cool. Well, Roper says that, that he's one of the real highlights okay. of May- the movie. I would like him to have some sort of reference to his dad's role in Anaconda because I would, I would like that. Because you talk about an awful movie that yeah. I will occasionally watch. Terrible. Oh, my God. Because... Poor John Voight is doing fifteen no, different accents. Not, not poor John Voight. Oh, oh, he's an asswipe. But but just this, he's like at one point he's got like it's Ricky Ricardo, yes, and then it's Ricardo Montalban, and it's like what are you, what accent are you doing? And every, Why didn't they find a different actor yeah. who actually you know might be it's, of that culture? But it's so bad. It, 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 there's like a and then it it it, will, it morphs into like Scarface Pacino yes. at some point and back and I yeah the, but I I will and then you forget Eric Stoltz was there yep and you're like oh yeah hey hey you're that, Eric Stoltz that guy, you're you are the guy who had the thing who was on the boat so uh, and that that's like that Anaconda's good bad in that way bad bad good but I will say this I. I absolutely adore Elizabeth Banks. She'd be on my if we're if we're drafting like a celebrity you just want to go have a drink with and hang out with, or you want to have over to. She'd be on my list of people I want to have over to watch TV. I just think it'd be great because she's just cool, and her husband seems great too. They can both come over and we'll sure. have drinks and we'll order in. You know, we'll get Chinese, but and play pressure luck. But I don't think she can direct. Well, I I won't be the person that's able to judge that by this movie, but. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm opening myself up and let's say, hey, because like, this is not even really kind of my genre of movie, but why not? Okay, your money. See how it goes. Your money. I think it's my money. Is it my turn? Yeah. Oh, you and Afia? No, not really. Okay. Because of stupid U.S. men's national team. What? Dan, I have to pay for things forever. That was the bet. Ouch. Because USA versus Ghana from the World Cup. Ouch. Yeah. Stupid. Don't US you get like national team stupid? Isn't isn't there a currency differential you could exploit somehow? No. No. no I, two I can't do can't. that. I can't be <laughs> say, wait a second. In 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 dollars it's this. There's but- there's a funny line that she says that I won't say on the air, but I'll tell you during break. Okay? About all of this. But when we come back, if you're a Cup fan, you'll want to stick around because there's a really good interview with David Ross. We are going to share Rossi's thoughts on what's going on at Sloan 
with this team. And we'll do that for you next here on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.